today for Joan Hogan for Prairie Doc Radio. We have Dr. Richard Holm as our medical medical editor. Welcome, Rick. Uh, thank you, Joni. Thank you for uh, hosting. Sure. So uh, we're we're uh, we should be uh, making sure that people know that tomorrow night's a show about heart rhythm abnormalities. That's abnormalities, and uh, and atrial fib is one of those. And we we might just talk a little bit about atrial fibrillation or fibrillation right now. Very good, and we welcome everyone's question. If you'd like to call in at 692-1430, we can take your question on the air about heart issues or other issues, but we'll start with heart. Yeah. So explain a little bit about the anatomy of the heart. Of the heart. You've got the atrium and the ventricles. Uh, describe right. those a little. Well, <clears throat> I kind of like to go right side, left side. The right side of the heart, uh, uh, you start with all of the blood from all of the body coming back to the to the heart um, into the right atrium. And at that point, uh, the blood uh, fills the atrium and pours into the right ventricle as the, as the um, atrial valve is open. It's a, a three leaflet valve. And it comes into the right ventricle. And then the ventricle squeezes that atrial uh, valve closes and it ejects into the lungs and fills the lungs with uh, non-oxygenated blood. The lungs oxygenate the blood, bring it back to the left atrium, and the left atrium uh, receives that blood and, um, and actually uh, fills uh, and empties its contents into the left ventricle the last minute actually this is the right and the left the last minute before uh, the ventricle squeezes the atrial uh, atria squeeze and empty the fluid out of the the atria into the ventricles and that blood comes into the left ventricle and it squeezes and the mitral valve which is a two cusp valve slams shut and keeps it from going back into the atrium so it shuttles over through the aortic valve out to all the cells of the body. <clears throat> when the atrium are open and, f- and the blood is flowing into the atrium and, and open into the ventricles too, flowing into the heart, that's called diastole. And that is the resting uh, time of the heart. When the ventricles squeeze, that's systole. And we know those numbers because that's the blood pressure numbers that people have. I have a blood pressure of 120 over 80. The diastolic pressure is 80. The systolic pressure is 120. And so <clears throat> the pressure never gets lower than that diastolic pressure of 80 usually. And, uh, and we're measuring it out in the arteries. Uh, so those are the really the reflection of the receiving uh, tone of diastole and then the power of the squeeze of the ventricle. So that's pretty complicated just to hear about. It's much easier if you can look at a diagram 
Um, and if you want to go online, you can look up the heart and you you can see it actually a graphic where that shows the blood coming in and out because um, it's pretty abstract when you don't know what it looks like. The atria are the smaller chambers, the ventricles are the larger chambers, but I would recommend that you take what you just heard and then uh, take a look at it so that it, it comes becomes more clear. Um, we should take our first break, but we would remind you to call us at 692-1430 with questions. Yeah, and I, I want to make sure that you we can talk about heart rhythms, but we can talk about valve problems, we can talk holes in the heart, we can talk about heart failure or heart attacks, coronary artery disease. There's a lot of things about the heart we can talk. And um, I just want to uh, uh, suggest that we'll address the issue of the history of understanding the flow of the heart uh, and the controversy and the great d discoveries and dis disagreements of the 1400s. Okay, we'll be right back. Autism spectrum disorder is a developmental disability that can cause significant social, communication, and behavioral challenges. Many people with ASD also have different ways of learning, paying attention, or reacting to things. Signs of autism spectrum disorder begin during early childhood and typically last throughout a person's life. The cause of autism is unknown. If you have questions about your child's development, talk with your primary care provider at the Avera Medical Group Brookings, 697-9500. This is Prairie Doc Radio, and I'm Joni Holm, filling in for Joan Hogan today. We welcome your calls and hope that you'll call us at 692-1430. We're talking about heart disease today, and Rick was going to talk a little bit about uh, some controversy on how the flow of the blood was discovered. So, you know, in the Greek historical uh, Hippocratic uh, school of medicine, uh, the, the theory was that blood came into the right side of the heart and then there were tiny holes in the heart that would just kind of allow it to go to the left side and that was the flow and that was the theory and somewhere in the early middle ages or early ages um, in the in the dark ages you know 300 500 500 AD or um, after the common era ACE uh, the there was a rigid teacher who said, this is the way it is, and no one could question it. And that is that the blood comes into the right side, it flows across to the left side through pores that we haven't been able to define, but that they're there, and then goes from the left ventricle to the rest of the body. But this is incorrect. Totally wrong. They missed the whole idea of what the lungs were doing and oxygenating the blood and that the right ventricle pushes the blood through the lungs and back to the left side. So it was probably through animal studies that they were able to witness this. Uh, well, I, 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 no, I, they, did, they, they did human anatomy, you know, uh, dissecting uh, uh, dead cadavers. Um, off and on through the ages. Yeah, but if they're not, if they're dead, you're not seeing how it pumps. Right, that's it. It's really <laughs> hard, and you know, you don't have the phys the, the um, physiology, as they say, uh, of a live person to see what's going on. So they they just couldn't figure it out. And then, uh, you know, you, 
then periodically they would get into a religious, oh my gosh, God, goodness, we cannot allow anybody to dissect human uh, bodies. Uh, they're, you know, they're, they're holy and sacred and stay away, no dissecting is allowed. And then they would let them do it again for a period of 100 or 200 years. And then, oh no, it's, it's wrong. And, and uh, so that whole thing happened uh, but as they're coming out of the Dark Ages, the Dark Ages really was when they lost contact with books, practically. Everything was semi, uh, no longer acceptable um, or, or known because the books were all burned and destroyed at about 300, 400 um, uh, A.C.E. So uh, finally, in the 1300s, 1400s, starting in Italy, there was a people who really figured it out that it went through the lung and they started talking about the right side going through the lung and there was a lot of disagreement and there were people hung because it was against the church to to question old dogma and uh, a lot of debate about this and finally a guy from England who was safer because he was under the the wing of the king said I've got it figured out, and his name was William Harvey, and he uh, defined the right-left uh, movement. And it, the way it, the blood truly flows. Right. So William Harvey was really famous for having done this, and it's an important time of, uh, of seeking truth. And it was, it, uh, medicine really opened up at that point and really started moving forward. We have a, a question that has come in from a 60-plus-year-old uh, female, or in her 60s, let's put it that way, and she wants to know about mitral valve prolapse. Now, you've mentioned there's valves in the heart. Uh, explain mitral valve prolapse. Well, a mitral valve is a bicuspid valve. And two. Yeah, two valves. Uh, um, two leaflets. One, two leaflets, uh, one valve. And uh, it is the valve between the atrium in the left side, on the left side, and the left ventricle. So this is a high-pressure system, so it's a very important valve because when the ventricle squeezes on the left side, you know, it, it gets up to 120, 130, sometimes high blood pressure. It's 180, 190, you know, it's really hard. Uh, and that pressure, uh, when the ventricle squeezes, the mitral valve slam shut right and it diverts the blood to go out the aortic valve to the body instead of going back into the into the left atrium so if it's prolapsed so the story of prolapse is that uh, the valve will slip it uh, halfway between the systole so is a squeeze open squeeze open so squeeze and it prolapse halfway through the squeeze and then it clicks so that if you're listening to the heart there's a lub click dub lub click but what dub. does it do to the blood flow then there's a leak backwards so it right. goes lub click dub and so you have this very interesting murmur and the reason it happens is because there is some loss of synchrony of this delicate balance of the mitral valves. The mitral valves, of course, are uh, so much high pressure that instead of just being um, valves that work 
all by themselves, they have a parachute lines that come to the sides of the ventricles to hold them from flopping backwards because they're a big valve. They've got to be very big to let a lot of blood flow into the left ventricle. And so the parachute lines have got to coordinate just exactly right. And in fact, halfway down the parachute line before it attaches to the ventricle, there's another muscle that's attached so that when the ventricle is squeezing and the walls are coming closer, that 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 uh, parachute line muscle tightens to keep the parachute exactly in balance to not flop backwards. Well, but, I mean, it's just this huge, very complicated coordination that fails in an inherited mitral valve prolapse condition. What symptoms is the patient going to recognize if None. they have? None. The majority Does it need of to be repaired? Majority of the time, it's just a small leak, and it does not need to be repaired. But it explains a murmur that you hear, and m sometimes it really does need to be uh, repaired because the m when you start losing a lot of blood going backwards, it pushes blood back into the lungs. It, you lose a lot of the volume that's going forward. So in the practical sense, though, the patient is going to be told by their provider that they hear a murmur and nothing to worry about. And over time, they have follow-up. And if that murmur changes and becomes more severe, louder, whatever, then they're sent to a cardiologist to have an echo or to have it assessed. And for the majority of time, I used to do echoes. When, uh, when I was doing echo, you'd just see how severe the mitral uh, regurgitation was. Right. And if it wasn't much, then uh, you wouldn't need to do much. There is a dysrhythmia, a fast run, run of uh, uh, rhythm that can go, go along with mitral valve prolapse. But for the most part, it's really a benign finding. You hear it in young women oftentimes, young, healthy, running women. And some have speculated that when their hearts are so tuned, they get so muscular and, and strong, it messes up that coordination of the parachute that holds the mitral valve, the, the parachute muscle that contracts and keeps the parachute lines exactly in line with as the ventricle walls come collapsing in. Well, let's just uh, review before we go to our next break that if this person has been told they have a mitral valve prolapse, they should follow their provider's directions, but there's a high chance that it's not going to cause problems. Right. And I, I think for sure, you know, if you have one doctor that you know or your care provider that you know about that you're, is yours that listens to your heart once a year and so on and so forth, they'll remember oh, and they'll see it on the problem list. Uh, oh, you have mitral valve prolapse, and you'll have this little clicking sound, and let's hear how that murmur changes or, uh, and so on. The value of having a primary care person is very important. But many times, you're, we're being switched from doctor to doctor if we get sick for one reason or another, and it's good to know that you have a mitral valve prolapse, and when they put that stethoscope, they're coming at you with that stethoscope. Oh, yeah, doc, I've got a mitral valve prolapse. Okay, let's take our second break and we'll be right back with more questions. Traumatic brain injury, or TBI, is a serious public health problem in the United States. Each year, traumatic brain injuries contribute to a substantial number of deaths and causes of permanent disability. Please remember to wear your helmet when biking and teach your child to do the same. 
the best treatment for traumatic brain injury is prevention. Brought to you by the Vera Medical Group Brookings. This is Joni Holm with Prairie Doc Radio. Thank you for listening. Um, we've talked about mitral valve prolapse, and we have a, another question unrelated from a caller that we'll get to. And before we go back to uh, cardiac, but um, uh, a woman in her 60s wants to know what to do with a pulled muscle. Uh, should she use heat or ice? You know, that's I've I've looked at that question for many years, and initially I used. To, just say ice is the best answer for for uh, pain and an early time of, of uh, pulled muscle uh, because it helps take away the spasm that goes along with it and take away the pain. But the problem with cold is it also delays healing. It, it just cools everything down. And you can burn, you know, uh, your skin, do uh, t- too much cold. You know, you can... Uh, have frostbite and and a blister and first degree burn like situation with too much ice if you use heat you can do that too i mean you can have a burn <laughs> you, you don't want too much heat either it should both be ra- rather moderate or mild not not significant and don't tolerate any discomfort when you're putting ice or heat on but the heat will enhance the healing and sometimes people who have spasms are relieved by the heat, which is, you know, is not what it, we're taught. But it, um, and I've, I've often heard chiropractors uh, advise patients to do one or the other or alternate uh, and go in the direction of the one that gives you the most relief. And that's really been what I've turned to in the last 10 or 15 years. You know, I think that's really wise. Let the person who's, who's uh, treating themselves with heat or ice to to see which one helps but i advise uh doing just that when when they come in with a a sprained ankle for example you know i'll give them often an ankle stirrup for some support if the x-ray is negative if i've done an x-ray if i have an indication for an x-ray but um, along with the ankle stirrup for a twisted ankle i like the idea of try ice early on in particular to, to keep the swelling down um, and uh, but after about a day or two uh, the swelling is you know having done its thing now let's get it healed and I like the idea of heat to enhance the healing process so uh, that's my my general uh, thoughts about uh, heat and ice heat uh, is good for healing ice is good to keep um, the, to decrease the swelling the acute swelling rice uh, we talk about rest uh i is for <laughs> all of a sudden i'm blank rice ibuprofen ibuprofen is what i think of yeah. compression uh, and elevation yeah so uh just or in the beginning of rest uh, ice there you go. Ice. That's it. <laughs> there Rest, it is. ice. You were almost there. Yeah. Rest, ice, compression, elevation. Yes. And then the, the warmth for later. We really don't realize the importance of, of elevation uh, in uh, medicine. Uh, oftentimes, uh, you know, when uh, I remember when I was on 
uh, surgical rotation as a junior in med school at Emory at, in Atlanta, Georgia, and I was actually I was on the service at Grady Hospital, and surgery at Grady Hospital is gunman's club as a rule. You know, there's a lot of gunning going down uh, on, and people would come in with gunshot wounds. You need to open the belly, make sure that the bowels weren't uh, hit, and so on and so forth. But um, another thing that we took care of was leg ulcers and leg sores and foot uh, uh, infections, uh, which uh, would kill people uh, very easily before the years of antibiotics. But he said to me, one of the surgeons and the intern, um, uh, I can't remember whether it was, which one it was, <coughs> said, before we had the antibiotics, we would bring them in and would elevate them, uh, and then they wouldn't elevate them. You know, they just wouldn't keep their foot up. And so what we would do is we'd get a IV stand, and uh, we would uh, wrap the leg and then connect the wrap to the IV stand and hang them so they wouldn't get out of bed. Hang the leg up. Hang the leg mm-hmm. up, and the leg would actually be elevated, mm-hmm. and the edema would come out of the leg, and the healing could occur. Yeah. And a lot of people uh, won't do it because it hurts as the edema comes out sometimes. When people have a lot of edema in their legs, you try, them to, try to get them to elevate their legs, they won't do them. They'll, they'll hang it down because it's more comfortable. Mm. I always say uh, lay on the couch and put your leg on the on back. the back of the couch yeah. or lay on the floor and put your leg on the couch because you want that to um, <clears throat> limb to be higher than your heart. Because it will drain that fluid and allow the artery blood, the oxygenated blood, the nutritious blood to get there. Well, you got so much venous pressure from a swollen leg, you can't get good uh, circulation out to it, uh, then uh, nothing will heal when you don't get any blood flow. Right. So, um, this is Joni Home with Prairie Doc Radio, and we're getting we're running out of time. We should get back quickly to um, heart the rate. heart issues that you wanted to talk about before we run out of time, since that is the topic uh, today. Right. You wanted to talk about atrial fib. Well, if you look at all of the problems of the heart, it's probably one of the more common problems. People, you're, you know, going along in life, and suddenly their heart flips to this heart rate of 150. Fast rhythm. Right. And naturally, um, 150 beats is what it is. And, and what happens is that the rhythm of the heart starts in the right atrium. There's a what is called an SA node. And the SA node sends a message down this track. Um, it's almost like an electrical cord that goes into, transitions from the atrium into the ventricle. And that is the atrial ventricle node. There's another switch box there. And then from the atrial ventricle node, it goes down one lead through to the right ventricle and two leads to the left ventricle. And then it depolarizes the ventricle and the ventricle squeezes. That's the electrophysiology of it all. And so an SA node figures the heart rate's gonna be, you know, anywhere between 60 and 100 if you're just kinda hanging around, if you're running. I'm going to need to pick it up because you've got to have more oxygen out there. And so your heart rate goes up to 120, 150, 160, or 80 when you're uh, very young and healthy and can do it. But uh, what happens is uh, the atrial, the SA node goes wacky. And suddenly there is an irritable source of 
of uh, SA node rhythms coming out of all over the right atrium. And they're going bing, 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 bing at about 300 per minute. And they eventually all get to that AV node that slows things down and protects the heart from fast heart rate. Well, the AV node slows it down from 300 to 150 and only lets 150 of those through, but that's way more than you're used to. Well, let's take our, our last break and then talk about how the patient feels with okay. that. By living a healthy lifestyle, you can help keep your blood pressure, cholesterol, and glucose or sugar level normal and lower your risk for heart disease and heart attack. A healthy lifestyle includes the following, eating a healthy diet, maintaining a healthy weight, getting enough physical activity, not smoking or using other forms of tobacco, and limiting alcohol use. Talk with your primary care provider at the Avera Medical Group Brookings if you have concerns about heart disease. 697-9500. Thank you for listening to Prairie Doc Radio. This is Joni Holm, and Dr. Holm is talking about heart rhythms and atrial fib, and we want to know how the patient's going to feel if their atria is is beating very rapidly they're going to get short of breath i mean they're they're not going to have the energy they normally have and they are at risk of blood clots because what happens when the atria is not squeezing with the ventricle you know or, or a few sec a few milliseconds before the ventricle squeezes then the uh, uh then uh, they're at risk blood doesn't uh, empty uh, out of the atrium as well. It flows in there, but it does. It loses 10%, and there's blood that's just kind of sitting in the atrium, and that can clot, and then people are at risk of stroke. So, so it's important for people who are in atrial fib to be in a, on anticoagulants to keep that risk of stroke down. So how does this person realize they're in atrial fib? Well, I think the when the heart rate is going at 150, that's one thing. But the many people is, don't recognize yeah, that. Sometimes they don't. They just feel weaker. That's why you should come in and be seen uh, when you feel weaker. Something's changed. Uh, the other thing is, if you try to tap your foot to the rhythm, it is so irregularly irregular that it's, it's, uh, you can almost make that diagnosis by, your, by feeling the pulse. It's an irregularly irregular rhythm. And uh, when you come in, we do everything we can to slow you down by using uh, two or three different kinds of medicines, verapamil or digoxin. And then uh, we get you down there, we anticoagulate you with uh, warfarin. That's my favorite instead of the new ones. The new ones don't have a reversal way, and the new ones uh, can't be monitored, and they're way more expensive. So I like uh, just the good old warfarin, personally. And if you look at it, um, most of the experts uh, do, too. But they have the new drugs have promoted it. Anyway, These are anticoagulants yeah, he's talking about. I really about. like warfarin. But you have to also do the workup to figure out why you're doing this. Probably the top of the list should be sleep apnea. Sleep apnea is a real reason for atrial fib, a real reason for uh, significant heart disease. People die early because of sleep apnea. It's a kind of a long-term hard thing on your body, harder than smoking. And... Uh, the other causes is uh, you could have coronary disease, one of the arteries of the heart is uh, blocking off. You could have uh, just a weak heart from uh, a variety of different reasons, sometimes viruses, sometimes uh, other uh, mechanical things. So you recommend or that valve people... valve 
people um, assess their heart rate by feeling their wrist or their their neck for the their heart rate if they feel sluggish if they feel like their heart is skipping or, or any indication that is it, that makes you question you should feel your own pulse other other things can make irregular heart uh, rhythms like lung disease but the common cause is atrial fib and it's a clue for a variety of uh, problems that you need to uh, look hard for so I guess we're running out of time thanks we are we want to say thank you all for listening to Prairie Doc Radio we'll be back next Wednesday watch tomorrow night for our heart show and stay healthy out there people